kind of handy. It's good to see the Dalrymples in church today. When I was in Sonora, they used to live there. Have you added to your tribe? All right. Another boy. <laughs> amen. Amen to that. <laughs> we can keep the screen up. I actually have some slides today for once. Brought a couple of pictures to show you. And I want to actually show you. Um, this is Smith, Nevada. Ever been there before? Probably not too many of you have. It's not too big. Doesn't even have the population there. Uh, this was about <clears throat> 1990, maybe 19, uh, right around 1990. <clears throat> Excuse me. And my family was out looking around. They heard that there was an old cemetery, an old graveyard near Smith. And I don't know about you, but my wife and I actually enjoy going to cemeteries and looking at all the tombstones. And of course, if you're looking at the tombstones, you're not only trying to pronounce the names, you're also looking for the oldest one in the graveyard, right? This was something when we were just dating and even just hanging out, it was a fun activity. It may sound a little weird, but we enjoyed it. And uh, we went to Notre Dame's uh, cemetery there, a lot, of, a lot of history in that big graveyard with the tall tombstones. Um, I got to go on a, a, a tour through New England while I was at seminary. Got to see a lot of the graves of the early Advent pioneers. Went to one of the largest cemeteries ever. It was inconceivably big. Just like there were mountains and lakes in this cemetery. It seemed like it was totally incredible. But this in Smith, Nevada, much smaller, much smaller. My parents were... I think my mom was along on the trip, my cousin, a couple of family members. They weren't exactly sure where it was, and it was kind of still around winter time. But eventually, they stumbled across this place. And as you find in some of these graveyards, some of the older tombstones may be broken. There's one near my parents' house in Walla Walla that has some wooden tombstones. You can't even really read what's written on it. But as my cousin Kevin stumbled across this one grave, he, he kind of picked up the headstone because he wanted to see what was written on it. And as he looked at the headstone, what shocked him first was that this individual, this young man, died on his birthday, on my cousin Kevin's birthday. So he saw the date and he, whoa, that's my birthday. And what shocked him even more was the name on the tombstone. Because the name on the tombstone, you may recognize John B. Tillet. Not exactly my name, but close enough. There aren't that many Tillets in this world. Um, I don't personally know anyone uh, connected to the Tillet name that's not a relative, except I've made some friends on Facebook. But as he looked at this, it was like, whoa! This was crazy. So I had an opportunity as a young kid, there's me there, in this snazzy little jacket, to go look at the grave of John B. Tillet. He died when he was about 17, I think of a burst appendix. He was out there for mining purposes, hoping to strike it rich, but unfortunately, calamity struck, and his life was cut short. Turns out he was a relative of sorts, as you trace things back. 
on the back of the tombstone, it was written these words. It's there, I promise you. I'm going to move this out. Well, there's the old-fashioned way. Gone, but not forgotten. It's kind of ironic because when we found it, he really kind of was forgotten there. Gone, but not forgotten. What's in a name? Names have power. With every name, there's a story. The question I asked this morning is, what will your story be? What will your story be? Today we conclude our overview, our look through the book of 2 Timothy. And we find that it's like the credits are running at the end of the movie of 2 Timothy. I invite you to turn there to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 9, starting with. Second Timothy chapter 4 in verse 9. The highlight of the book has passed already. The, the great uh, pinnacle of Paul's message to Timothy has already passed. In fact, as you look at the structure of this book, some say that the, that the peak verse is actually 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, about the Word of God, all Scripture being given by inspiration from God. But certainly last week was a high moment as we saw Paul saying, I've finished the race, I've come to the end of my course, I've kept the faith, and... And there's laid up in store for me good things because of God and his plan. And, and, and these good things are available to anybody who wants to be a part of it. And now at the end of his letter, it's like the credits are starting to roll because there's some concluding remarks. And we're going to see a lot of names today. As we go through the names, some of them we, we know a few things about. Others we have no clue who they are. But still, even if we don't know who they are, with every name there's a story what will your story be? The same way when you watch a movie and you see the credits rolling. I was just thinking about this. Every person whose name you see that you just kind of skip over because you don't know who they are, every person has a life just like you and me. Everybody who's listed there, whether they're like the key grip, the person who's holding on to the microphone, and, and by the way, you have to pay, I'm told, to get your name uh, in some of these uh, credits. My friend did some computer animation for a project, and he said, yeah, I might have to pay a couple thousand bucks to get my name at the end here, but it'd be worth it for his resume and so forth. Um, I don't know if it works like that for all of them, but everybody in those credits, they all have a story. They all have struggles. They all have joys in their life. And here, Paul sends out some greetings, and he he gives some final words, and he mentions a lot of names, but with every name, there's a story. The question we have this morning is, what do you want your story to be? So verse 9 says, do your best to come to me quickly. Do your best. 
He's speaking to Timothy, remember. Paul is alone. Paul is alone, except for Luke right now. He's by himself. He's stuck in this dungeon, the Mamertine prison. And I believe I have a picture here. This will be good because I can get more steps on my fitness tracker. Might even get a couple of flights of stairs if I keep doing this. This will be good. He's stuck down here in this very spot. He's been there during the whole writing of this letter. He's been there. He'll continue to be there until he's taken out and his head is chopped off, thus ending the life of one of the greatest apostles in the Christian church. He's lonely. He says, Timothy, do your best to come to me fast. Hurry. Do your very best. They didn't have fast transport during that time, but please do your very best. Paul's lonely. You know, I was thinking about our mission and our vision for the church here. Our vision statement says, Our vision is to belong to Christ in a healthy church family where every member is valued and loved, thoroughly equipped and joyfully involved in linking others to Jesus. Paul's lonely. Even Paul needed companionship. Our vision is to be a church where people don't feel lonely. This is a good goal. We're not there yet, friends. What can you do to help fulfill the vision of this church? To bring comfort and hope and courage to the people here and in our community. Simple ways. You can go visit them. You can call them up if you haven't seen them for a while. You can introduce yourself so that you know their name. There's something special about being called by your name. You can invite people over for lunch. If we want to fulfill the vision of our church and not just have it something that's in our bulletin every Sabbath, if we want to fulfill our vision, let's think about action steps that we can take today, this week, to fulfill this vision. The Apostle Paul needed companionship, and so do we. Amen? Amen. And then we get to verse 10. Part of the reason why Paul is extra lonely. Verse 10, because Demas because he has loved the world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas. We don't know a whole lot about Demas. His name is probably Greek. He may have been a convert. But he appears three times in the New Testament. Briefly, go with me to Philemon. Just the next page over. Philemon 24. No chapters, just verses. Philemon 24. One page over. It says, and so, well, let's start in verse 23. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. So here's somebody who, Paul says, he's a fellow worker. He's involved in spreading the gospel along with me. Demas is, is a missionary for Christ. He's an evangelist. He's, he's doing the work of ministry. Things are going good at this point. The next reference, we won't go there, is found in Colossians 4.14. You can look it up later. Um, Colossians may have been sent at the same time as Philemon, or it may have been sent a little bit later. It, it's unclear whether the, the recommendation or the, uh, the phrasing that Paul has next to Demas in Colossians is quite as positive. He says, 
the beloved Dr. Luke is with me, comma, and Demas. It's unclear whether things are starting to turn south or not in Colossians, but by the time we get to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, it says, Demas, because he loved the present age, because he loved the world, departed. Some Bibles, if you have the NIV, it says world. Um, in New King James says something like the present age or something like that. It's not the same word for world. Um, world is a good way to describe it, but it's literally the, the present age. So it's like Demas is just saying, you know what? I want to please myself right here, right now. He was only living in the present tense, and he wasn't thinking about the future, the future world. Because his heart longed for the things that were going on in popular society right now, he eventually departed from Paul. He was with him during his first imprisonment, his house imprisonment there in Rome. Things were a little bit easier, a little more comfortable. Paul wasn't stuck down in this hole. Demas was there, and, it, and, and that's where Paul was writing some of these prison epistles. It's almost like while Paul is writing and, and being inspired by the Holy Spirit, Demas is there in the room, but he's looking out the window, and he's hearing the sounds of Rome. He's seeing the sights, and he's thinking, man, I wish I was out there. And finally, by this time, sadly, by the time Paul is down in the Mamertine prison in this dungeon, Demas, because he loves the present age, deserted him, went off to Thessalonica. Paul apparently had sent Crescens to Galatia on another missionary tour. Titus he'd sent to Dalmatia. And what does that, that word Dalmatia remind you of? What's that? Exactly. That's, that's the region where the, the breed Dalmatians come from. And if you can picture in your mind Italy that kind of comes down, uh, there's water on both sides of Italy. To get to Dalmatia, you just go, you go north and east. You hop over the Adriatic Sea. And there in modern-day Croatia is the area of Dalmatia. Uh, I don't know whether Titus saw any of those dogs at that time. I have no knowledge of the, anything beyond what I just told you about Dalmatians. Well, I know a little bit more, but I don't know when they were first bred. So he sent some, some of his followers, some of his disciples, some of his friends off on missionary journeys. Verse 11, only Luke is with me. Dr. Luke is there to bring some comfort. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful for me in my ministry. Now, what do you remember about Mark or John Mark, as he's also called? He had a rough go about his very first missionary adventure. He went along with Paul, and then the going went tough. And Acts chapter 13, you can read about him saying, you know what, I just, I can't do this. I'm out. I'm gone. He left. He abandoned the mission. And so then Barnabas, you know, still, bless his heart, wanted to encourage this young man. Paul says, I'm done with him. I'm done with him. But Barnabas mentored, discipled him. And by now, Mark, John Mark, he's grown up. And Paul has recognized this guy can be useful in ministry. And Paul's not holding his past against him. He's saying, let's move forward. 
This young man needs to be involved in ministry. Bring him to me. History seems to, to hint and tell us that he stayed on there and worked with Peter in Rome. And it was probably during this time after Paul's death that Mark wrote the gospel that he's named at, or that is after his name, the gospel of Mark. God can do good things through people who've made mistakes in their life. Amen? Every name has a story. What will your story be? Your story from the past doesn't have to define your story in the future. Your story from the past does not have to define your story in the future. Every name has a story. What will your story be? Verse 12, I sent Tychicus to Ephesus, sending him with the letter. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Paul is cold. He doesn't have a lot of luxury in his prison cell. I saw something online recently about this drug lord who was in this prison uh, somewhere. It wasn't here in America. But somehow he was living basically in a, a luxury condo. He had a nice TV. He, it looked like a living room, uh, like a nicely designed living room. He had uh, an Xbox or some, some sort of gaming system. He could play games. And somehow the prison wasn't aware or they were turning a blind eye when the public found out, oh, we can't have this guy living so comfortably. Then, then they put him in the regular part of the prison. Uh, that was not Paul's case. Paul's thinking, it's going to get cold. I don't even have a coat. Please, send my coat along. Send, send my scrolls, my parchments. He's probably referring here to uh, his copy of the Old Testament, written in Greek, called the Septuagint. Maybe also he could be referring to some of the early copies of the sayings of Jesus that were in circulation by this time. Not yet in gospel form, but some of the early sayings that were written down. Paul, even in prison, wants to have the Bible with him. He wants to continue studying, continue reading. No excuses for the Apostle Paul, even while he's in prison. He wants to continue to grow. Verse 14, another name, Alexander the Metalworker. Unfortunately, this name does not bring back good memories because Paul remembers how he did him a great deal of harm. But he says the Lord will repay him for what he's done. There may be people who've done wrong to you. It's not your job to repay them. It's God's job. If there's going to be revenge, let God take care of it. And, and by God's grace, hopefully those people will give their hearts to the Lord and the revenge will go upon Jesus or has already gone upon Jesus, as it were. Verse 15, he's warning Timothy, you too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. There will always be people opposing the message of God. There'll be people that are opposed to you just because you're a Christian, just because there are certain things in your life that you choose not to do because you love Jesus more then you love those other things. People will oppose you. Paul recognized that Timothy was warned about it. Verse 16, at my first defense, this trial that Paul had, he says, nobody came to my support, but everyone deserted me. 
There may have been people such as Luke that were still with him at this time, but nobody came that had the credibility and the ability to support him in his legal defense. Um, apparently he had had some people who could say th things that would be helpful for Paul in his case, but they said, I'm out of here. Like Demas, they said, uh, I'm gone. It wasn't popular to be associated with somebody who was being treated as a criminal of the state. We discussed the shame and honor society in which he lived. But notice what he says after talking about the people that deserted him. There in the second half of verse 16, Paul says, May it not be held against them. Like Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Paul was saying, sure, they deserted me. They abandoned me, but I hope it's not held against them. I want my heart to feel the same way. How about you? I don't want to have a heart that wants to hold on to things like this. I want Jesus to change my heart. Verse 17, I love this part. He says, but the Lord, even though he was abandoned and deserted, the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. You know, in the Bible, when Jesus stands up, things happen. Good things happen for the people of God. You can think to Daniel chapter 12. It says, in the days of the time of the end, there'll be a time of trouble such as we've never seen before in the entire world. But it says, at that time, Michael shall stand up. Michael, another name for Christ. Michael will stand up and deliver his people. Amen. Think about the story there in John chapter 8. The woman is brought to Jesus. She'd been caught in adultery. And she's brought before him there, all the people wanting to condemn her. Jesus just gets down and he starts writing something in the sand, writing in the dirt there. And when he's done writing, he stands up. And when he stands up, judgment is given in favor of this woman. And those who are standing by to accuse her feel condemned and they leave. When Jesus stands, judgment is committed in favor of God's people. What about what about the first Christian martyr? What about Stephen? Acts chapter 7, he's being stoned there. He's dying, but God gives him a vision. He looks up in heaven, and what's the posture of Jesus there in heaven? He's standing up. Jesus is upset by what's going on. He's standing up, and as we know, this was the end of a, of a period relating to judgment. And those who were stoning Stephen were going to be judged at a future day. This is that period that marks the gospel not only going to the people of Israel, but also to the whole world. So it doesn't seem coincidental, perhaps, that the Apostle Paul here says that the Lord stood by my side. Even though Paul felt abandoned in that courtroom, Jesus was there standing with him. Like the young Hebrew worthies in the fires of Babylon, there was Jesus at their side and Christ was at Paul's side. And he says, He gave me strength so that through me the message might be fulfilled, fully proclaimed, and the Gentiles might hear about it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. Even David wrote about this. A similar phrase. 
David says the same thing, Psalm 22, verse 21. God, deliver me, delivered me from the mouth of a lion. This horrible experience. That sounds like a horrible experience, being in the mouth of a lion. I don't want to find out. I knew a guy. I was talking with a guy who was interacting with some cheetahs over in Africa. And he was trying to mess with the cheetah to have the cheetah scratch his arm with his claws. He thought, that would be so cool to have a cheetah scar on my arm. Sounds dangerous. Uh, how much worse to have the cheetah's mouth or a lion even bigger? Paul is describing a horrible, scary experience, and he says, God delivered me from it all. Verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now here's a question. Paul has just said, I'm going to die. And now he's saying, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. Is this a contradiction? This is Paul recognizing that there's a life beyond this life. And like the Hebrew worthies, those three young Hebrews saying to, to, to the king, our God can deliver us, but if not, we're going to be okay. Paul says, I'm going to die, but I'm going to be delivered. For Paul, there was life beyond the grave. There was hope beyond the grave. Death didn't have the final word. Jesus has the final word, and he knew whom he had believed and so he was able to say, Jesus will rescue me and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 19, a few more names. Remember, every name has a story, even if we don't know the story. The question is, what will your story be? Greet Priscilla, or Prisca in some Bibles. Priscilla, Prisca, same name. And Aquila. In the household of Onesiphorus. These were people who were more familiar with. People who had been a source of great comfort and encouragement to the Apostle Paul. Priscilla and Aquila were great workers for God after Paul had, had brought them to faith earlier on. They'd spent some time in Rome and now they were back elsewhere. And then we get to an interesting name. What, what's the name there in the first uh, line there of verse 20? Erastus. Erastus stayed in where? In Corinth. This is very interesting. I want to show you something else. You know, they were uh, digging around Corinth, doing some work, and they discovered in 1929 this stone inscription. Unfortunately, it's in Latin, and most of the, the letters are recognizable to us. And let me show you. So... Looking right here, you can see the, the edge of an E, and then E-R-A-S-T-V, or U-S. Erastus, and this is in the town of Corinth. Paul is speaking about an Erastus in the city of Corinth. The full inscription in English, it says basically, Erastus, in return for his ship, laid the pavement at his own expense. Back in those days, they did the same thing we do today where you make, you make a donation towards the new church and you get a brick with your name on it, right? Or a plaque on the wall. They were doing that 2,000 years ago in Corinth. 
We're not 100% sure that this is the same Erastus that Paul referred to, but the one Paul's speaking of was a city official. He was well-known. And so it's very possible that this is the very person that Paul was talking about. Really neat to see things like this. Every name has a story. What's your story going to be? Erastus stayed in Corinth. I left Trophimus sick at Miletus. Now, didn't Paul heal people? Didn't he have these gifts? Wasn't he a part of that, that outpouring of the Holy Spirit? And weren't there handkerchiefs taken from the apostles to the sick people? And just the handkerchief itself healed people? Why did Paul leave his friend sick? It appears as though the gifts of the Spirit for even healing is not something that can be controlled at will by a person, even if they've had it in the past. Here we see an example of a good person who, for whatever reason, God allowed to be sick. We don't know what his fate was. We don't know how serious his illness was. But here we see that God doesn't always heal everyone who's sick. Even people who've had the ability to heal people, God doesn't always allow them to have their desire. We don't know why. We may never know why until we find out from his mouth in the kingdom. But we can take comfort to know that sometimes good people do suffer. It happened in Paul's day when the Holy Spirit was poured out in a mighty way and it happens today in our day. Verse 21, do your best to get here before winter. Not only was it going to get cold when winter happened, Paul realized he was about to die. He wanted to see Timothy as fast as he possibly could. During winter, ships couldn't travel across the sea. And so the window of opportunity for Timothy to see Paul one last time was as soon as possible. Eubulus greets you, as do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the, the brothers. We don't know much about most of these people, but Linus is said to have been the first bishop of Rome, according to tradition. Every name has some story. What will your story be? Your story is not defined by what you've done in the past. Your story is defined by the choices you make today and onward. What will your story be? The Apostle Paul concludes with the very last words we ever have record of him writing. He says, The Lord be with your spirit. Grace with you. Amen. It's interesting here to note that the you is plural. Paul's not just writing to Timothy. Paul has a wider audience in mind. He had no idea it would be as wide as it is today. But that same prayer from 2,000 years ago, may the Lord, in some Bibles, the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That same prayer lives on and reverberates in our hearts and our minds today. Grace be with you. And thus concludes the Apostle Paul's final letter. A lot of names, a lot of stories in this last section. Some good, some bad. Contrasting the sad story of Demas who, who fell away 
We have <clears throat> the happy examples of many people, including the Apostle Paul himself, who said, I've finished the race. I've run, I've kept the faith. I've run the course. I've kept the faith. I've finished the race. And now there's laid before me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord on that day will award to me and to all who've longed for and loved his appearing. We get to choose what our story will look like. We get to choose how our story ends. It was 1968, Summer Olympics, in Mexico City. I doubt any of us were there. Some of you may have watched it on TV. Inspiring story comes to us from those Olympic Games. There was the famous marathon, that great race. And the, the, the guy right here, uh, from Tanzania was one of the 50-some competitors in that year's marathon. And something very unusual and unfortunate happened. While he was running about halfway through the race, John was his first name, he stumbled and he fell. And when he fell onto the cement, he dislocated his knee. And then he also fell and he hurt his shoulder. And an injury like that was an injury that would, if it happened to me, I would be done. Totally done. But after getting some medical treatment, after getting some help from the medical team, John decided, you know what, I've got to keep running. I'm going to continue on this race. And so he ran. He limped. He hobbled. He walked slowly. And finally, he reached the stadium in great pain, but still continuing down the course. These are pictures of him there entering the stadium. By this time, the gold, silver, and bronze medals had already been awarded. The race was done. Everybody had finished who'd, who'd decided to finish. But there's old John, still running. Most of the spectators had left. And finally... John Stephen Aquari crossed the finish line. It was written about him later. It says, Today we have seen a young African runner who symbolizes the finest in human spirit, a performance that truly gives dignity to a sport, a performance that lifts sport out of the category of grown men playing a game, a performance that gives meaning to the word courage. Afterwards, he was asked, Why did you keep running? You dislocated your knee. Why did you do it? His answer will live on throughout sports history. He said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start a race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish. And as history remembers the name John Stephen Aquari, they remember somebody who finished the race. What will your story be? I invite you to take out this little card that was in your bullets. And if you don't have one, you can raise your hand, please, and Richard or one of our deacons will pass them out to you. It seems fitting when we finish this book to just have some type of response to 
what the Apostle Paul has been encouraging us with week by week. Yeah, just raise your hand if you don't have one. And I don't know what Jesus has been saying to you throughout this series. I don't know what he'll say to you right now in this moment, but it's appropriate for us to respond in some way. And so I want you to take a look at this card. Maybe today you want to accept for the very first time Jesus as your Savior. Or you want to make a recommitment to Christ today. You can mark that, indicate that by checking the first box. Perhaps some of you want to begin preparing for baptism. Or you want to talk to me maybe about considering rebaptism as an option. Mark that box. As you've gone through this series, maybe your heart has been stirred to use your gifts for God. Number three, you can mark that. You can mark as many of these as you want. Perhaps some of you want to learn how to give Bible studies. Maybe you've never done it before. You, you've been hearing about what's been going on. You're a little curious, but you're scared. And you want to know, what does that involve? Could that be for me? How do I do it? We'll talk to you. We'll train you. We'll go along with you if you're interested. Maybe you have some questions or something that's on your heart you want to talk to myself about or an elder of the church Number five, please mark that. Or you have something else that you want prayer for, indicate that uh, with number six. Please put your name and your phone number. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to follow up with you, whatever your decisions are today. Or if there's something totally else you want to write about, you can write it on the back. I'll give you some, some moments to reflect and to decide as we have a special music at this time. We're pilgrims on the journey of a narrow road. And those who've gone before us line the way, cheering on the faithful, encouraging the weary, their lives a stirring testament to God's sustaining grace. Surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run the race not only for the prize, but as those who've gone before us let us leave to those behind us the heritage of faithfulness passed on through godly lives. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe. And the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who 
us faithful after all our hopes and dreams have come and gone and our children sift through all we've left behind may the clues that they discover and the memories they uncover become the light that leads them to the road we each must find. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe and the lives we live inspire them to you would just take your card and, and place it face down and pass it out to the aisles I'm gonna have the deacons pick these up right now uh, before we pray just face down and pass it into the aisles love the words of that song may all who come behind us find us faithful is that your desire I want to be faithful. I'm looking forward to meeting the Apostle Paul someday. How about you? He just seems like such a great guy. I mean, even though he's been dead for 2,000 years, I'm a little sad as we come to the end of this book. But we'll interact with him some more. We'll be studying some more of his writings later on as time goes by. Let's go ahead and seal these decisions with a closing prayer.
Dear Father, thank you so much that you love us. You died for us to set us free, Lord. And our hearts are just saying, thank you, Jesus. We want to be found faithful, not because of our own strength, but because of your strength living in our hearts day by day. Bless the decisions that have been made and will continue to be made. And may the story about our life, whether we live or whether we die, may the story about our life be one of service to you and to other people day by day. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.